The following show is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. Today's monthly coaching call, we're going to work on what I refer to as kind of the defensive side of your overall finances. Our guest today is Michael Kanarek, attorney at law with Kanarek & Kanarek in Walt Township. Michael, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks, Frank. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Michael, I know that your area of expertise is in the area of estate planning. And, you know, when we do our offensive calls, we talk about building wealth. When we talk about defensive calls, it's really about how do we protect our wealth. And people spend their whole life, you know, they go to work, they build up assets, and then at some point these assets are going to go to someone or need to be managed by someone. So what I'd like to maybe have you do today is maybe just highlight some of the key documents that people should be putting in place, and not only what the key documents are, but maybe how often they should even be reviewing them. So maybe we could just start with a quick overview. What are some of the key documents that our listeners should be putting in place? Sure. Uh, you know, the, the, the key documents to be putting in place would be wills, powers of attorney, and living wills or, or health care proxies. Those are the three main components of an estate plan. I mean, you can get more complicated than that. But when I sit down with the client, I like to make sure that we at least handle those three documents. Now, generally speaking, Mike, you know, people think, oh, I got a will or whatever. And it's interesting when they take out a, a will that we review from time to time or we're passing on to you for a review. There's a lot of wills that don't really encompass some of the things that they should, okay, and they're, you know, pretty basic. So maybe you can talk about some of the features that people should be aware of and what's important in some of them. Sure. Uh, when I sit with clients, you know, there's the a couple main things that I want to focus on. A lot of times people come to see me, you know, if they're younger couples, they come in because they want to name a guardian for their kids. And most wills successfully name guardians for kids. Um, of course, the odds of that provision ever coming into a play are one in several million probably. And it's funny that that's what people focus on because there's a lot of other provisions that I'll talk to people about that are definitely going to come into play um, and aren't an impetus for people to sit down with me. So, um, you know, those provisions that I think are uh, really important that do get focused on because they will actually come into play are things like estate taxes, um, things like control of assets, creditor protection of assets, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, if, go ahead. I was going to say, Michael, maybe you could take a moment because you said estate taxes. And, you know, according to the federal law, you know, they have large exemptions. It's over $5 million. It's almost $11 million between a husband and wife. So many people don't fall into that category. But there is a wrinkle to that, you know, for you know, our listeners that live in New Jersey and some of the other states. And maybe you can expand upon that because I think this is the one that most people are like, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so a- as you correctly stated, the federal exemption has gone up in recent years uh, to the point where it is over uh, it's in 2015 now at $5.43 million per person, which would be, again, like you said, close to $11 million for a couple. Uh, and, and most people don't fall into a situation where they really need federal tax planning anymore. However, our great state of New Jersey has the lowest exemption uh, for, for state estate taxes in the entire country. That exemption is $675,000. And what people might not understand is what the size of their estate is. 
uh, the size of the estate and what's being reported on the estate tax return will, uh, you know, incorporate things like the value of the house, the value of someone's retirement plan assets, uh, the death benefit on their life insurance. I mean, obviously the liquid assets and that, that kind of stuff becomes obvious, but many people uh, have, you know, 90 to 99 percent of their estate tax value tied up in things that are illiquid and they don't consider you know, to, as, as part of the estate necessarily, such as the things I mentioned, life insurance, retirement plan assets, real estate, you know, et cetera. And in New Jersey, that adds up really fast. I mean, you know, Very when fast. you just think in terms of houses and so forth, you know, when we're talking about, you know, houses in New Jersey can get up there in value very quick. And if you own any significant life insurance, and when I say significant, you know, I always say is for every $50,000 a year of income that, you know, a family needs, they probably have close to a million dollars of insurance. They blow right through that exemption very fast. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. You know, if I ask a client what the size of their estate is when they walk into a meeting, and you might hear things like $20,000, $40,000, when in fact it's $3.5 million. And, and people just don't understand that until you know, I explain it. So one of the you know, key things for our listeners is, you know, to take a look at your planning as it relates to that legal document. And if you do have an estate that exceeds 675000 there's some planning that needs to be done there in order to make sure that you're maximizing the opportunities. That's correct. There are certain strategies that we can incorporate within a will um, to potentially reduce or eliminate any New Jersey estate taxes. Of course, there's stuff that you can do outside of the will as well. But, but really, when I look at a will in New Jersey and it doesn't incorporate any of these strategies, uh, I'll generally tell a client that it's it's just not satisfactory. Very good. Great point. So that's a little bit on just the tax side of the will. But, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I've been doing this over 30 years, and the tax side is not always the thing that's most motivating the people when they're doing their wills. I find that, you know, in today's environment, you know, if you have children and if you have children who are grown children, and if you've, you know, accumulated a few assets, your houses, whatever the case might be, all of a sudden you start being concerned about, are my assets going to go to the people that I want under the terms and conditions that I want? So perhaps, Michael, you could talk about you know the opportunities to help people to really protect their life's work there as well for a few minutes. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, th- there's a couple things that I see. I mean, in, in a situation where you, d- you don't have any sort of blended family issues going on and it's just husband and wife and the kids are all from the same marriage, which is, you know, less and less these days. But in, in those situations, um, you know, one thing that I think it's always important to clients uh, that I talk to them about is upon the second death when the assets do pass to the children, you know, how old are these kids? How responsible are these kids? Some of the times, you know, for example, I have an 8-year-old and a 6-year-old. Uh, if something happened to my wife and I, would I want them inheriting? Remember, again, it's the life insurance, the value of the house. This stuff adds up to you know to several millions. Would I want them inheriting that at their age? And of course, the answer is no. Uh, the state of New Jersey wouldn't allow it. They would step in and and have a court appointed trustee and watch over the money until the kids are eighteen, and then turn it over. And I like to joke around with clients, telling them, you know, you're probably better off handing it to the eight-year-old and six-year-old than you are to the 18-year-old. So we don't really want to rely on the state of New Jersey to come up with our plan. We want to come up with our own plan um, and set up some better parameters than the state does. So as far as age distribution goes, a lot of times I'll recommend to clients that we hold the money in trust 
at least until a child's 25, and then even at that point, probably not distribute all of the child's inheritance at that point. Uh, you hear those stories where the person wins the lottery and they're broke within a year. You know, same kind of thing. Maybe we'll turn over some of the child's inheritance at 25, but keep some back in trust where the money's there. Again, if the child needs it, there's always a trustee that can make distributions, but the child doesn't gain control over the whole thing until in, in maybe 30 or 35. You could do, you know, some at 25, some at 30, some at 35, different steps like that. I think it's a great point because, you know, it's interesting because over the years, you know, we've seen professional athletes, made got a lot of money real fast, end up broke. We've had people that we've met over the years who hit the lottery, get a lot of money, end up broke. Yeah. And what happens is, is when people get large amounts of money up front and they don't have time to kind of settle into understanding what it means and how to manage it properly, I mean, effectively they can ruin their financial lives and as well as outside of their financial life by not knowing how money plays a role in their life and how to manage it better. And they need some coaching and some guidance around that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, other non-responsibility issues would be creditor protection, divorce protection, right? Trust, trust uh, if a kid were to get sued, then the trust would protect that child. If the child were to get divorced, you don't want, you know, half the inheritance that you left to a child end up with that child's ex-spouse. So trusts are protected there, where maybe in some situations it makes sense to not even terminate the trust at age 35, but to keep the trust going forever, and you can go from one generation to the next maintaining these trusts. You know, a lot of that depends on the level of wealth and can it, well, you know, is it worthwhile going through these steps, but uh, it's certainly a viable strategy for a lot of people. Mike, great point, and it's one of those of, you know, and for our listeners and, you know, so forth, it's one of those of we know at some point you're going to want to address this. What we're suggesting is give it thought and get to a professional like Mike Canarek, you know, someone who specializes in that field, that you can have the conversation sooner rather than later because, hey, you never know. Uh, The other thing is you mentioned a couple of other documents. Maybe you can just kind of high level uh, mention a little bit more detail of what they are, what they do, and their significance. Sure. The the two other documents I'd mention, the first one is a power of attorney. A power of attorney is a document where you appoint somebody to manage your affairs if you're unable to manage them on your own. And just to give a quick example from, you know, in my personal life where it became necessary many years ago when my grandmother was alive, um, she ended up with Alzheimer's in a nursing home. And luckily, my mother had power of attorney. So my mom was able to do things like sell my grandmother's home, like write checks on my grandmother's account to make sure that the bills at the nursing home were being paid, manage my grandmother's assets for her. If this document is not in place, my mom has no authority to sell my grandmother's home. My mom has no authority to write checks on my grandmother's account. And then nothing gets done, or my mom has to go to the court to be uh, to be appointed as my grandmother's guardian. And, and that is a whole big process that you, know, you really That's want no part of. No, it's not fun. Uh, so power of attorney is a very simple document, and there is absolutely no reason not to make one. Uh, and it could really come in handy when it, if, it, if it needs to be put in place. Uh, the, the last document that I had mentioned was a living will and a health care proxy. And a living will is simply a document that states, uh, generally, you'll state your desire not to be kept alive artificially in the event there, you know, that you have no hope of recovery. So basically, you're, you're expressing your feelings on certain medical conditions and how you would want them handled in the event that you're unable to express how you want them handled. Uh, in addition, you'll appoint a health care proxy to make medical decisions for you. Uh, if you're unable to make them on your own. And again, obviously, those are very important documents to have. Very good. So, Michael, thank you so much for being with us. 
this month on Discovering Responsible Wealth. Discovering Responsible Wealth for our listeners is brought to you by the Institute of Responsible Wealth. And again, you've been listening to this is Frank Congelos, your host. And our guest today was Michael Canerick of Canerick and Canerick in Wall Township, Attorneys at Law. His area of expertise, again, is in estate planning. And by the way, just as a little sign note for our listeners is when you are doing your planning, I do strongly recommend that you deal with people that have that area of expertise, not necessarily someone who's closing on your real estate deals and so forth, but you need someone who specializes in estate planning. Aside from that, have a great month, and we look forward to speaking to you next month. Thank you again, Michael. Thank you. Advisors of the Institute of Responsible Wealth may be licensed for investment and insurance products. The Institute of Responsible Wealth is an educational division of CNA Financial Group. CNA Financial Group and its advisors are an agency or an agent of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. The Institute of Responsible Wealth and CNA Financial Group are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian.